timely tip. We're live from Sanderson, Ford, and Glendale for their 66th anniversary celebration. Get your kicks during Rosie on the House. And we are, and there's already people showing up, and Sanderson Ford said yesterday they are absolutely inundated with phone calls from people asking about today's event. Sanderson Ford, 51st Avenue in Glendale, just south of Glendale. We've got coffee and donuts for the early birds that are here. We have a special staycation giveaway. There are three uh, staycation baskets we have, all Arizona products, signed books by Roger Naylor. We have, I should get Carol because she has spent a ton of time getting all the details for the books put together. And we have, we'll, we'll get a dial in on those, but we also have a special promotion for our newsletter subscribers that the entry that we have, will give away a staycation per hour and you have to come on site to register to win one of these and subscribers to our newsletter had another opportunity to enter to win. If you just bring your newsletter in and bring the PDF link that we had sitting in that newsletter, there'll be a special drawing just of newsletter subscribers for the gift baskets, increasing your odds of winning. And one of the three gift baskets are going to have a key to the Mustang that you'll be, that will start the Mustang you'll get to take on the staycation. So one of the baskets will have the key for this month's staycation winner, but you have to be here at Sanderson Ford. 6400 North 51st Avenue in Glendale. And we've got an all-star lineup of guests who will be joining us today, sharing their Route 66 Sanderson Ford memories. Mike Broomhead, Tim Hattrick, uh, Al McCoy, Luis Gonzalez will all be making a debut here during the program. So if you're out and about, come on by. And a little bit later, there will be serving lunch. And shortly, in about an hour, the Arizona Wildflowers uh, will be here performing their music live. They were here at the Hootenanny sale two years ago and were uh, requested to be re- uh, repeat guests by popular demand. So we look forward to having a great day and sharing a lot of great information with you, the Arizona homeowners. It is the 8 o'clock hour, fourth Saturday of the month. So we are with Farmer Greg, who's got a special guest in studio with him, Kari Spencer. And we're talking about preserving the harvest today because we're going right into the key time for uh uh, fruit, and I've got peaches, I've got apples, I've got all my canning stuff ready. Farmer Greg, talk us through the details. Oh my gosh. First of all, thanks for having us. And I'm here with Kari Spencer. Thanks, Kari. Hi. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you sent us pictures yesterday of your uh, apples and peaches coming on, man. That looked great. You like those? Oh, yeah. Well, and you know, the desert gold peach, that's the peach you sent me a picture of. That tree makes an obscene amount of fruit. It's, every year my I get hundreds of pounds of peaches off of this eight-foot-tall, nine-foot-tall tree, and it's just amazing what it does. I have two of those peach trees, and they're both about five years old, and they both came from the pop-up nursery. Oh, well, thank you. The, the pop-up nursery is the Urban Farms uh, fruit tree education program that we do every year. So thanks for that shout-out, Romy. Well, thank you. And what am I going to do with all these? Because there's no way 
right. I'm going to be able to eat all these before the birds get them all. Yeah, so that's the problem, and Kari talks a lot about that. <laughs> yeah, once those uh, peaches and nectarines and apricots are ripe, you got to do something with them, right? And there's so many, you can't just eat them. Yeah, that, so um, there's a number of ways that you can preserve those. We're going to talk about a few of those today. And I think, Greg, we're going to start with canning. Sure. Well, actually, let's step back a little bit from canning. And if you don't want to can and you just have the peaches, one of the things that I do is actually cut them in half, Mm -hmm. put them on a cookie tray in the freezer and freeze them and then stick them in a jar. That way they're great for all year for smoothies and jams and stuff like that. So that's the easiest thing to do with them. It sure is. It's very, very easy, but it takes up some space in your freezer. It does. Whereas canning, you don't have to put it in your freezer or your fridge. You can just put it on your pantry shelves. Right. So really, we're not talking about canning here. We're talking about jarring, right? Well, yeah. But well, yeah, it's jarring. (laughs) We're not putting anything in metal cans. cans, No. (laughs) No, but there are two ways that you can can, and, uh, you know, there's there's um, benefits and drawbacks to each of them, and there's things that you can can one way and not the other way. So the two types of canning are um, pressure canning, which you have to have some special equipment for, mm-hmm. and water bath canning, which is really a lot easier and takes a little less specialized equipment. Um, it's really easy to can. But you have to know what to can and when. Okay, so. So it's a two-step process. It you, is. You, you actually have the recipe that you make up, mm-hmm. and then you put them in jars and seal the jars. That, that's the canning process is where you actually uh, heat the jars up to kill all the microbes, any bad stuff or good stuff, any bad stuff in there, mm-hmm. and then uh, let them cool off and they seal, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so you can can... Um, Things that are high in acid in mm-hmm. a pressure canner, or I'm sorry, in a water bath canner. Mm-hmm. And those are things like if you were going to do some lemon curd or maybe a orange marmalade. Um, tomatoes? Tomatoes are yeah. kind of borderline, right? Oh, really? So we do add acid to our tomatoes, a little bit of vinegar or lemon juice to just raise the acid level when we're canning them. Yeah. But other things that are low in acid, like vegetables, need to go in a pressure canner because um, a water bath canner is not does not get hot enough to kill all of the botulism spores that might be in there. That's very interesting. I'd never heard that before, Kari. And we have done a number of canning and always wondered why uh, vegetables never lasted as good as the peaches or uh, okra that we canned. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you can you can okra? We do. How cool is that? We we've got an old family Louisiana recipe. Oh. Uh, okra, jicama, uh celery, carrots and you just open it during the heat of the summer and just suck on it and it's got you you do it with a little vinegar and man it's a it's a great afternoon snack. That sounds great. I love pickled okra. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess... Uh, the benefit to canning is you can get canning equipment virtually anywhere. Right. Uh, grocery stores, Fry's, Safeway, Walmart, Target, they all have canning equipment. The pressure uh, cookers, you know, that's a little bit more specialized, like you were saying. Yeah, but you can get those pretty much anywhere at any big box store or at uh, 
you know, they're just, they're all over the place. They're just a little bit more expensive. So, yeah. And what a pressure canner does is? It uh, seals and raises the temperature really high, so high that the canner will actually lock so that you can't open it until it cools down at the end of the process. Right. So, um, but they are, they're great to have for canning um, all kinds of things that you can't do in a water bath canner. Yeah, Yeah, and if you want to know which to put in a water bath or which to put in a pressure canner, um, you can go look at the current USDA guidelines on canning, which are at the National Center for Home Food Preservation, and that is at nchfp.uga.edu. And they have lots of recipes there that you can use, and they give a lot of information that will tell you exactly how to can safely and deliciously. When, and there is a little bit of an issue with the older books, the older canning yeah, books, I right? Yeah, love, I love old recipes, mm-hmm. and I have a bunch of vintage cookbooks that have absolutely fantastic canning recipes. But you're going to want to... Compare those with the current USDA guidelines because you might need to change the cooking time. You might need to add some acid. You just need to bring them up to the standards that um, were raised after 1987, and those are all at that National Center for Home Food Preservation website. So so the question is, what can we can right now? <laughs> we can can <laughs> we uh, right Mr. now can, can, yes, can. <laughs> <laughs> right now tomatoes oh my goodness oh yes yeah there's so many things you can do with tomatoes you can just can the tomatoes so you have stewed tomatoes or you can make sauce out of them uh, you can make ketchup I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do with tomatoes yeah, I had uh, a picture from one of our followers recently showing me literally baskets full of tomatoes. He said, this isn't all of the tomatoes I have right now. I don't know what to do with them all. Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, can them. Right. Can them because it's so great to have spaghetti sauce. Yes. In the pantry all year long. Well, you know, the other thing that it does is we use jars that we reuse. Mm -hmm. So there's no longer going to the store and buying a plastic jar or a glass jar, using it and then, you know, putting it in the recycle or the trash. So that helps as well. Yeah, it does. You know, it's an expense to buy those jars the first time, but Mm -hmm. then you use them over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. I have some that I've been using for decades. I have some that my grandparents used. Oh, nice. (laughs) Oh, there is one one key Uh piece that you have to pay attention to. The Mm -hmm. colored jars, Mm -hmm. you can't use those anymore. That's right. The blue jars or sometimes they're purple you don't want to use them if they are actually vintage now they may they make some new ones now that are they don't contain i think it's lead that might be in them probably Um, yeah but if you have the old colored jars then just use them for decor right (laughs) exactly exactly so right now we've got peaches like so many peaches i don't know what to do with we just finished with apricots uh the apples for applesauce are coming up in about 30 days Oh, yeah. Oh, that applesauce is one of my favorite things to make. Yeah. My kids ate it like crazy when they were kids, and now my granddaughter does. So, right. Yeah, and I can make it at home and make it all different ways, and <laughs> it's delicious. Yeah, and my, my sweetheart Heidi uses it instead of butter in recipes, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, or oil. You or, can replace yeah. oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So it uh, and and it lasts. That's the thing about jarring or canning. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it lasts. Yeah, and you know what? We're at Sanderson Ford. We're trying to get a hold of John Pratt here because we got a two-minute live spots coming up. So we're sixty seconds away, and then we're coming back. Let's do it. Urban Farm, I love it. Flagstaff, Arizona. Don't forget Winona, Kingman, Boston, San Bernardino. Won't you get your kicks on Route 66? I think I need a drink at the bar. <laughs> right? In the Outdoor Living Hour, we're talking with Farmer Greg, who's got special guest, Kari Spencer. Kari, you haven't even given your website yet. You've got a great uh, city farming website that I think listeners need to know about. And then we've got, uh, we've talked through canning, water bath, and pressure washing. In this segment, we're talking pickling and fermenting as well. Yeah, well, my website is cityfarmingbook.com. And you can find a lot of information about um, growing food and even preserving food on that website. And with uh, pickling and fermenting, just like with canning, there are two ways to do it. <laughs> Very good. You should go for it. I have never pickled anything. You have never. Oh, you are missing out, Greg. <laughs> yeah. You are completely missing out because it is. You can pickle almost anything, and it's delicious. I've pickled. Watermelon rinds before. Wow, really? And they're the amazing. Time, the last time, Kari, I went and pickled actual pickles because we eat a ton of pickles. We got done with that. We were all excited. We all dove in, and then we went and bought stock in Velastic. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, try, try again. It's a process of, of learning, and if you don't like your pickles the first time, then just change it up and do it another way. So the easiest way is just put them in vinegar and stick them in the fridge and just eat them right out of the fridge after a couple of days, right? Or you can water bath can them after you've put them in vinegar. Um, And the other way is to actually ferment the pickles. And that requires a little bit more of a process, a little bit more learning how to do it, to do it right, so that you don't grow something you don't want to in that right. <laughs> in those pickles. What you want to grow is the lactobacillus, which is so good for your body. And it pickles the pickles. It makes them taste delicious. Well and I think one of the cool things is is lactobacillus is just kind of like around. It's in the air, right? That's right. You don't have to add it mm-hmm. to the pickles. It's it's everywhere. Right. So you, but you have to learn how to capture that and grow that and not grow mold (laughs) or something else. So I have some cucumbers Mm -hmm. and I want to make pickles. Give me like three steps. Do you want to do it the easy way or the hard way? Let's do it. Let's (laughs) ferment them. Okay. If you want to ferment them, you need to get a fermenting recipe and there Mm -hmm. are lots of them. But basically, you're going to put them, you're going to salt them. You can slice them any way you want. What kind of pickles? Do you want do you want them whole or do you want them in slices? Okay. Okay. You slice them up. You um, add some salt, some vinegar. You put whatever spices you want in there, and then you're going to put them in a um, in a container in a cool, dark place, and leave them alone. You're going to check them every once in a while, and um, you know when they're when they're done. You, you just have to taste them to see when they're done, really. So you said every once in a while. Is every once in a while like every day, every week? Every few every, days. Every few days. Mm-hmm. And generally, how long does the pickling process take? You can pickle them in just a few days. 
Honestly, Ooh. yeah. But sometimes you want to pickle them a little bit longer, just if you want them more sour mm-hmm. or if you want, you know, a little bit more of the bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so. I, I used, actually, I used the word pickling. I meant fermenting. Fermenting. Yeah, yes. it is a form of pickling, but uh, it, <laughs> yeah, a specialized form. Well, and there's a, a specific lid that you put on them, right? Yeah, you can buy specialized lids that vent because there is gas that's released mm-hmm. during the fermenting process, and you don't want to blow up a jar, right? <laughs> um, but well, I just curious. I just cover it with I just cover the jar with some cheesecloth oh. and put the ring, you know, the ring that you screw on. Oh, yeah. without the actual metal lid part. So then things don't get in, but the air, the gas can escape. Wow, you're good to have as a friend, aren't you? so what other things have you come over i'll put you to work (laughs) (laughs) right what other things have you ferment fermented oh you can ferment just about any vegetable yeah you can ferment fruits if you want to did you did you ferment citrus at one point yeah you can ferment citrus if you want to um that wasn't the best thing I ever did, <laughs> but you can do it. Well, I just I want to call the, call that out for a moment. This is how we learn. Sure. Yeah. You know, so if you make a mistake and you make something and it's like, ooh, give that to the chickens, mm-hmm. that's okay. It happens sometimes. Just don't do that again. That's right. Yeah. Don't repeat it. <laughs> yeah. But and and. Romy, one of my favorite things is that pickled okra. So you can just do that in vinegar. And um, I hope you'll share your old family recipe with me. I I could probably be persuaded to trade. (laughs) Okay. Uh (laughs) That wasn't a share. It was a trade. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's fun. Whichever way you do it, it's fun. Yeah. Um, And are you growing anything right now that you're going to ferment or pickle? Well, you know, what I do is I grow a lot of things. And then if something kind of gets to the end, like say I grow squash. Uh-huh. I guess we're wrapping it up till the I next. I so. I didn't mean to scare we'll you there. That's all right. <laughs> we also have dehydrating and freezing as additional preservative options on preserving our harvest as we go into the peak harvest season here for Arizona. We're live at Sanderson Ford. Come on by and join us live here, 51st Avenue in Glendale. Eight o'clock is Rosie on the house. Your Saturday morning tradition for thirty-two years. Fourth Saturday of the month. We're talking with Farmer Greg. We're talking preserving the harvest, and he's got special guest Ann Kari Spencer of CityFarmingBook.com. We've talked through canning. We've talked through pickling and fermenting, and we're going to go into dehydrating. But Farmer Greg had just asked the question as we were going to bottom of the hour news about. Uh, what currently do you have that you're going to be preserving? And I think I think squash was uh, the where Carrie Carrie was getting ready to go with that. Yeah, I was. I 
I love to can squash. Like when we get sick of eating yellow squash <laughs> or zucchini, right. which happens because you get so many when you grow oh, them. Yeah. Well, that's, just... that's the old joke where uh, the neighbors <laughs> won't answer the doors and they go running because they know you're knocking on the door with more zucchini. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of um, pawning it off on your neighbors <laughs> when they're sick of it too, then you can pickle or Yeah, you can pickle it. I love to make squash relish. One of my favorite things. Oh, Put yeah. the squash relish on, on everything, not just on hot dogs and hamburgers, but it's good on a lot of different foods. So, so it's, it's like pickle relish, but it's squash relish. That's right. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's, it's that, I guess you could go with the fermented version of that or the sweet version of that as well. Yeah, I usually do the sweet because I like yeah. it better. Yeah. <laughs> but you could do it any number of ways. Yeah, and I get this question from people, what should I grow? And you just answered the question because you like it. You grow things, those things that you grow the most of, it's, it's what you love. Absolutely. Otherwise, why bother? All right. I don't grow honeydew melon because I discovered <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> but <laughs> cantaloupe, I'll grow. There you go. There you go. So the amazing thing about our yards is how much they grow. We talked about peaches earlier. Um, right now, I have tens of thousands of uh, carrot seeds in my front yard. So uh, the abundance that we have in our yards, once we start growing this stuff, it, it, it can be mind blowing and we have to prep for it. And one of the ways that I've prepped for it is dehydrating. I bought myself a, a jumbo dehydrator and we just got done um, dehydrating hundreds, maybe thousands of apricots. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's one of my favorite things to dehydrate. What What about you? <laughs> my very favorite thing to dehydrate is fruit leather. Oh, so yes. any kind of fruit. And uh, there's lots of recipes. You cook it up. Like my favorite is apple pie fruit leather. Oh. So you make a sauce like apple, just like you're going to make an apple pie. But then mm. you put it in the blender and <laughs> just make it smooth. And spread it out uh-huh. on your dehydrator tray with a piece of parchment under it. Dehydrate it. Then you can cut it and roll it up, and you've got homemade fruit leather. And it doesn't stay around my house very long if I make it. It's gone. <laughs> right. You know? Well, and I'm just thinking that would be a great project for tomorrow for me for peaches. Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, we have so many of them. And secondly, they're really juicy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can make peach fruit leather. Yum. Make it like peach pie. Yeah. You know, tasting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So de- the kinds of dehydrators that are out there, I used to have a small plastic one. Um, and then I graduated to, I found a larger stainless steel one because we get so much. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what kind of dehydrator do you use? I have the bigger one too, but I did start out with one that I bought at a thrift store. Mm-hmm. just to try it out and see if I liked it, right? Yeah. But I found that the bigger one actually works a whole lot better, and I can do a lot more at one time. Yeah. So I did invest in the big dehydrator. But we, honestly, we live in a dehydrator, don't we, here in Phoenix? <laughs> right. Right, so you can buy a dehydrator, or you can dehydrate on a very, very low temperature in your oven. Mm-hmm. Or you can put your stuff that you want to dehydrate outside in a shady spot covered with some kind of a netting so that the bugs don't get it. Yeah. 
and just dehydrate in in your backyard or on your porch. <laughs> well, I, I've seen solar dehydrators before. Oh, sure. Those exist. And there are even plans online where you could make one yourself. Yeah. If you want. Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the things I noticed in my dehydrator is it, it runs for a few hours and then it stops. And I think I had set my dehydrator to run for eight hours. The apricots weren't quite done. And when I went out there a couple hours later, there were fruit flies everywhere. Oh, no. <laughs> so if you are going to use a uh, you know, a solar dehydrator, you have to make sure that it's sealed well enough so that the bugs don't get in. That's right. <laughs> That's the trick. Let the moisture out, but don't let the bugs in. Right. right. <laughs> so one of the cool things about dehydrating is that the stuff lasts. It lasts forever. You know, it seems like. That's yeah. not true. Not forever. But, uh, but you know, and it, it, it can last in a small space. Because if you're dehydrating peaches, mm-hmm. they can take up a lot of space in your freezer. But if you dehydrate them, they shrink because the moisture goes out of them. Yeah. So you can, you can have them um, stored in, in very little space. Yeah, I think you meant if you freeze them. They take up a lot of space right, in the freezer. Right, 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 exactly. If you, if you dehydrate them, it dehydrates them down a lot. I actually have uh, three one-gallon jars of dehydrated apricots that would have probably taken up a whole lot more space in my freezer. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you got to make sure they're pretty dry before you put them in the jars, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can grow molds and stuff. Yeah, well, and, and my second step to that, once I dehydrate them, is I stick them in the freezer. Oh, there you go. Just for long-term storage. Yeah. Always in a jar. I always like storing them in jars. That way there's, you know, much less freezer burn. And the thing is, is that my uh, apricots and apples, those are the two main things I dehydrate. I'm still eating a little bit of last year's that Mm -hmm. I dehydrated Mm -hmm. this year. So, and we just got done with apricots and apples are about, mm, about 30 days out. So you're prepping. Yeah, so I'm getting <laughs> prepped. And you know, you have this conversation on our Growing Food the Basics course. Week 7 is all about uh being prepared mm-hmm. for making sure that you have the supplies that you need. So, in the whole scope of everything, uh if you have a bunch of stuff, what kind of supplies might we need? A dehydrator would be one of them. Yeah, it depends on on what you want to make, mm-hmm. how you want to preserve. So you know basically when your harvest is going to come in, right? Yeah. You can put it on your calendar. And mm-hmm. then make sure that you have your canner or your dehydrator or whatever way that you want to preserve those and some recipes and even the spices and things that you're going to use. Right. So that when everything becomes ripe, you can very quickly preserve it. And by doing it that way, you're going to get the most out of the the vitamins. The fresher it is, the faster you can it. Yeah. Because every minute it sits on your counter, it's losing that nutrition value. Yeah. Right. So you want to get it preserved really fast. And also, these things can go can go bad so fast. Right. And it's just horrible when you have a big harvest and you can't get to it fast enough, and things. Just go Things bad. Go that's bad. that's you know sad. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, we want to make sure we get all of the value out of the trouble that we take to grow yeah. things, right? Yeah, because it does take a bit to grow things. It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's other things we can dehydrate, like kale. 
Yeah. Did you do any this year? I didn't because I ate all my kale. <laughs> oh, you ate it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can make kale chips mm-hmm. in the dehydrator. Yum. Yep. <laughs> or you can just dehydrate the kale and then you can crunch it up, put it in smoothies. All right. Mm-hmm. When I think that a few years ago you dehydrated some citrus and brought it to me, didn't you? I probably did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I like dehydrated citrus. I love it. Can it's like candy. You put I put some sugar on it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, and it's the peels. It's really the peels mm. that I like to dehydrate, but you can dehydrate a slice of orange and it's yummy. Yeah. Mhm. When and what other kinds of things do you dehydrate? What else do I dehydrate? <laughs> oh boy. Well, you can dehydrate melon. Oh yeah! Oh, very yeah. Good. Pickle melon, dehydrate melon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to make um, I like to make the that fruit leather mm-hmm. out of melon, but not honeydew because I don't like that. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but other kinds of melons like yeah. watermelon. Oh my goodness! That yum. just sounds weird that you can dehydrate fruit. You know, a watermelon. <laughs> well, you're taking the water out, right? What do you have left. <laughs> what is right? You had the sugar. <laughs> that's what you yeah. have left. So that's yeah. why it's so delicious. And your point is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so the other thing I have an amazing abundance of, and this goes a little bit away from um, dehydrating, but it goes to preserving. In my front yard right now, I have, as I mentioned earlier, tens of thousands of carrot seeds. <laughs> and so harvesting and uh I guess it's not really preserving, but harvesting and preserving those seeds for next year is a really important part of the process as well, is it not? It is. And actually, it is preserving because you want to make sure when you collect those seeds Mm -hmm. that you store them in a cool, dark, and dry place Mm -hmm. um, and then pull them out for next year and grow more carrots than you ever could eat, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it, it is important to collect our own seeds and to to preserve them. Well, and that's the cool thing about, again, the abundance of our gardens. And if we're using uh, open pollinated seeds, those are seeds that um, aren't, aren't hybrid or aren't GMO. If we're using open pollinated and we let things go to seeds in our landscape, we can get next year's seed harvest. Yeah, we can. And we can share it with our neighbors, too. Yeah. Because you'll get more seed than you probably <laughs> will grow yourself. Yeah, I'll bet you I get five pounds of carrot seeds out of my front front yard this year. That's a lot of carrot That's seeds because they seeds. are teeny tiny. Yeah, there's probably 400,000 seeds in a... Uh, in a pound of carrots. Yeah, that's enough for your whole block, you know. <laughs> so look up online. Look up online what a carrot going to seed looks like. It's beautiful. Yeah, they're pretty. It's stunning. Mm-hmm. So seeds that I have available right now in my front yard that I can actually harvest. Cilantro, mm-hmm. nasturtiums, parsley, basil, lettuce, kale, um, yeah, I have a lot of, this isn't food, but I have a lot of um, snapdragon oh, <laughs> seeds, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. tons of them. Yeah. yeah, so I never have to buy a snapdragon plant because I have the seed. <laughs> right. We're talking preserving the harvest with Farmer Greg and Kari Spencer. We're live at Sanderson Ford. If you hear the violin in the back, it's the Arizona Wildflowers who will be here uh, starting to perform their Bluegrass Music, a local band from Casa Grande, uh, who are returning here by popular request from 
a previous uh, Sanderson Ford anniversary celebration. You can come on by today. We'll be here broadcasting live until 11. Down to our last segment here in the Outdoor Living Hour, talking preserving the harvest. Strong finish here, guys. What are we wrapping up with? Oh, my gosh. We're wrapping up with freezing. Just fr- stick it in the freezer. I guess we're wrapped. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we came full circle back to the first thing we talked about, which yeah. <laughs> was how you freeze things, which you kind of skipped over a little bit. You explained it, but what do you actually do when you put your food on the freezer tray? Um, actually, what I do, so I pull the peaches, usually right the the day before they're ripe, because if I bring them inside and ripen them, I cut them in half, the pit will pop out on, on the desert golds. So I don't put anything on the freezer tray. I just put the peach with the open side up and stick it in the freezer. And 24 hours later, I come back, I pull it out of the freezer and load them in a jar. I always uh, put things in jars and uh, do another batch. Mm-hmm. So you pre-freeze them before you put them in the jar, so they not one big clump. Yes, exactly. The yeah. they're, they're easy that that way. If I'm making a you know a, a green drink or a smoothie or something, I can just grab two or three of them out of the jar. Right, I do that a lot. With uh, we used to have this mulberry tree. Uh, and we had so many mulberries. Oh. I just lay them out on a tray, freeze them, yeah. and then throw them in a jar. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> so I good. have a mulberry tree now, and we have the, it's the dwarf black mulberry that we have in our fruit tree program, mm-hmm. and uh, it makes so many mulberries. I have six gallon. Uh, jars in the freezer of mulberries. Oh, wow, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> and they're, they're about a dime size, and they're just absolutely amazing. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> yeah, so just freezing them straight is uh, easy. What what kind of things do we have to look out for in the freezer? Well, sometimes, um, you know, if you leave them too long, you can get some freezer burn. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're paying attention to what you have in that freezer, you're going to want to eat it anyway because it's so yummy. Yeah. So just eat it. Um, another thing could be a power outage. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got you know your your entire garden value in your freezer, right? right. And then the power goes out. What do yeah. you do? Yeah. So just keep that freezer closed. Mm-hmm. Do not open it until the power comes back on. All right. Or get yourself a. Generator. The generator. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you can have that loud thing running, but you'll keep your right? keep your food from spoiling. Yeah. yeah. And another thing that can help is uh some people like to use those freezer bags. Oh uh-huh. That uh there's a little machine that goes with it and it takes all the air out mm-hmm. of the bag. Yeah, and then you know, it no air can even get in there, so it's a it, it it's a, a little bit longer lasting pre- preservation. However, the bags are not reusable. Right. You know, one thing I tell everyone, I I, uh, I learn how to cook first, right and foremost. Nice. You know, saved a lot of money over the decades oh, doing yeah. that. But the one thing I was late on was a vacuum sealer. And when it comes to, now I know a fruit's kind of hard to do because there's a lot of liquid in it, Yeah. but you mentioned a bag. I made some black eyed peas on New Year's. I just pulled it out of the refrigerator two days ago Oh, nice! and I kept my fingers crossed. It's all gone. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was as good as the day I Oh, there you go. But there was some freezer burn on the top, but it yep. didn't make much difference. But but anyway. Yeah, yeah. that's the fantastic mm-hmm. thing about this. You don't have to eat everything all at once. <laughs> you know, and if you're looking for produce, uh, pay attention to when something's ripe in season in your area. About, um, about eight years ago, I was at a farmer's market, and uh, one of the farmers had... Uh, big boxes of tomatoes that were kind of getting toward the end of their ripeness. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I paid 10 bucks each for two of them. I took them home and I made uh, canned tomatoes. So y- you can actually, um, you know, not have to grow stuff and it's out there. You just have to be curious about finding it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you have a citrus tree in your neighbor's yard that's hanging over your fence, <laughs> you know, it's legal to take those. <laughs> right. Actually, I talked to my neighbor because his lemon tree hangs over my fence, mm-hmm. and he said, take as many lemons as you want. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's food everywhere in the valley Yeah. growing everywhere. And we do have some really great services. We've got the Produce on Wheels program. Oh, yes. Yeah, where they take stuff that the grocery store doesn't want for some reason or another, and they'll sell you like 60 pounds of it for $10. Yeah. Yeah. So you can get a whole bunch of something that's in season and preserve it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. (laughs) If your neighbor's growing zucchini, that's easy, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Growing zucchini at Sanderson Ford as we speak, it sounds like. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Sounds like you're having lots of fun over there, Romy. We are, and we will have Farmer Greg back next uh, month in June talking about water harvesting. But you guys were talking about generators, and I didn't want to interrupt the conversation. uh, But I did want to mention one of our partners, Fox Valley Electric, has just developed a three-tier package that comes with a home backup generator. On If you're already on natural gas, that's a plus, or you uh-huh. have gas installed. comes with solar and batteries backup. Uh, so all day long, you've got the solar that operates it. If it's ever at nighttime, you've got the batteries that have been charging. Uh, the solar's been charging all day, and uh, the natural gas from Kohler that'll kick in. So wow. they've got a three-tiered package. They're actually going to be on next month with us talking about it that'll keep you completely uh, self-sufficient in any kind of outage once again thank you so much for having us Romy always a pleasure urbanfarm.com and uh, urbanfarm.org dot org yes, sorry that's alright <laughs> urbanfarm.org and uh, the city farming cityfarmingbook.com Greg Peterson Kari Spencer thank you for joining us this Saturday morning we're live at Sanderson Ford thank about you thank you morning.